verses 1 through 11. You can follow along in the screens in front of you or the screen that's right in front of you. If you happen to have a Bible, I invite you to open that too. Most of the Apostle Paul's letters are near the end, so you can find it right there. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Listen to God's word. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the gift of God's word. Thanks be to God. Join me in prayer. Let's pray together. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My very first automobile was a nine, but it had one really weird quirkiness about it. But I'm sure like most of us, the things that we love in our life always have quirkiness factors to it, right? Like something unique or something odd about it. The particular quirk that my 1989 Toyota truck had was that on the inside of the gas tank, there's this little floating bobber that's inside of it, and it measures how much gasoline is inside of the gas tank. And it shows you on the dashboard just how much gas there is, right? So full all the way down to empty. But the quirkiness of that bobber inside of the gas tank in my truck was that after it got to about three quarters of a tank of gas, all of a sudden it just showed empty. It was so weird. It was like, wait a second, no, there's no way I went from three quarters of a tank to empty in the last mile. That just doesn't make sense. And so I figured out there was a mechanical error. But to fix the mechanical error was like this incredibly difficult process. You had to basically disassemble the entire thing and fix it. And, you know, I was, I was a young person. I didn't have the time or the energy to try to take care of that. So instead of dealing with the problem, I just would estimate how many miles I'd driven and try to guess, you know, should I fill up now? Should I not fill up now? Sometimes I was way too early and I'd only put a couple gallons in and be like, well, I guess I was more like half a tank than I was a quarter of a tank or an empty tank. So it was always kind of this guessing game. But it was kind of fun. It added a level of interest every time I drove my truck. 
On this one particular occasion, when I was doing college ministry, I was in a city about 40 miles away from Seattle, and I was with some college students, and I was going to drive them home. It was about a 40-mile drive. Now, this is back in the days, years ago now, I'm sure you can remember, when gas was $5 a gallon, and I wasn't getting paid too much money, so it was hard to fill up the truck, you know, from time to time. And I thought, I'm just going to, I think it's okay. I think I'm going to just test it out here and see if I can get back to Seattle with these two students, 40-mile drive. I think we got it. This had never happened to me before. But on the middle of I-5 in downtown Seattle, all of a sudden, in the middle of a seven-lane highway, there the truck goes and starts running on fumes in the middle of I-5. And my heart starts to pound. My heart's pounding right now just remembering this story. It was terrifying. There's all these cars whizzing around me. Here's these two students that just went on this mission trip that I helped them debrief. And now I have to keep them safe and keep me safe. And I'm so anxious. Fortunately, I was able to get the car into neutral and at least get over to the side of the highway before any kind of major accident. Because, you know, that's, I mean, I was terrified. I was just like, my heart was pumping. The truck finally went on empty. I tested it too much. We were lucky enough to call some friends and they got us some gas and we were able to get home that afternoon. But boy, I was so scared in that moment when the car finally did what I hoped it never would do and it finally went on empty in the middle of the highway nonetheless and it was such a scary moment in my life. Have you ever had a scary moment like that too? Where you just run on empty? Maybe it's not a car. Maybe you've never had a car go on empty. Maybe... Maybe you have. Maybe you have an electric vehicle. I don't know. How does that work? Does it go bump, 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 or does it just turn off? Yeah, something like that? I don't know. But I think we often use that as a language of metaphor in our life when we're running on empty, right? And we get our heart starts to pitter-patter. We can feel anxious sometimes. And we need to be filled up. We need to grasp for anything to take away that anxiety, take away our heart just pounding and feel safe, getting to the side of the road, calling a good friend, to come help you, to rescue you, to bring you back to a safe place, to take care of those people that you're responsible for. I'm sure you've had moments in your life like that, right? I'm sure you have. And I think this is precisely what the Apostle Paul is speaking into the life of the Philippian church. There's some anxiety abounding in that community. You know some of those famous words in the Philippian text that says, do not be anxious, but by prayer and petition, make your requests be made known to God. Right? So Paul's speaking into an anxious community, an anxious church. They desperately want to feel their hearts to stop, to pound, but just to feel safe, right? And I think in Philippians 2, we get to see just what Paul wants to tell them about, to make them feel safe, to make them feel secure, to make them feel know that they will be rescued and they will be okay. And Philippians 2 is all about addressing this situation, Paul starts out Philippians chapter 2 by saying, if then there is any encouragement from being united with Christ. This is always such an interesting thing because in the English language, when we see if-then statements, you know, I think sometimes we think about those if-then statements from a negative perspective, right? So we talk about how we might use in a normal everyday language a conversation. Oh, if I were the president of the United States, then I would pass these laws. But the assumption in that statement is that you are not the president and you will never be the president, but you suggest that if then. In the Greek, it's the opposite. If then statements assume a positive. They assume the positive. So when Paul says, if there is any encouragement, 
it's not a negative assumption, it's a positive one. He's saying there is so much encouragement from being united with Christ. There is consolation, there is sharing in the Spirit. There is so much good that happens as a result of life in Christ, my friends in Philippi. He says, so make my joy complete. It's like Paul starts out with all this beautiful language about being united with Christ. He says, make my joy complete. And what makes Paul's joy complete in the context of all these beautiful things that Paul has to say? Well, what Paul says is that I want, frankly, Jesus to be your model for life. I want you to let Jesus be the model for the way you go about living your life. Now, this is something we talk about a lot in Christian circles, letting Jesus be a model for our life. Pastor Mary mentioned last week that one of the ways that Jesus models something beautiful for us is to be in proximity to pain, to be close to where pain is, something Jesus models for us. And God shows up as we do what Jesus does. I have to sort of confess, though, that this idea of Jesus modeling something for us is hard. It's hard. It's been hard for me in my life because as we've read some beautiful texts over the last few weeks, texts about Jesus justifying us before God, it's like I can't justify myself before God. So not in every manner is Jesus a model for us like that. Jesus justifies us. We can't justify ourselves. So anyways, I'm just saying, I wrestle with this idea of the model. But I think this is one specific way here the Apostle Paul tells us that Jesus can be a model for us. And what he says is this. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition and in the King James, vain conceit. That word vain conceit in Greek is the words kino doxa which translated literally means empty glory. Paul is basically saying, do nothing out of empty glory. Do nothing out of empty glory. I think that's such an interesting phrase, isn't it? To think about what the Apostle Paul is saying here. Do nothing out of empty glory. Uh, Don't fill yourselves up in these moments of anxiety. Don't fill yourselves up with empty glory. Just whatever feels maybe hollow in your life, don't fill yourselves up just, just to feel that rescue, that sense of rescue. Don't fill yourselves up with empty glory. But he says, no, let Jesus have the same mind that you have in you. Model yourself after Jesus. So what does Jesus do? Jesus empties himself. Jesus empties himself. That's the literal word that Paul says in this beautiful part about the Philippian hymn. He empties himself. Though he was in the form of God, he did not consider equality with God something to be exploited Jesus didn't exploit the fact that he had all of this power, but instead he emptied himself, took on the form of a slave, became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And in emptying himself, the glory of God abounds in Jesus, right? This is the story of Holy Week. Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection And at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow on heaven and on earth and under the earth, as it says. These are some of the most beautiful words in all the scripture. And so Paul says, look at Jesus. Jesus emptied himself and the glory of God abounded. So there's this beautiful play on words in Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing out of empty glory, but instead empty yourself. And the glory of God will abound and will be present and will be with you in your life. 
This is what Paul is saying. In an interesting way, I think this is exactly the story that's being told as it rolls out in the Gospel of Luke. You heard Pastor Mary tell us the story uh, from Mark as it pertains to Palm Sunday when Jesus enters into Jerusalem. And it's very similar in Luke, but of course, as you know, the different Gospels have slightly different variations. And in the Gospel of Luke, as Jesus is coming in on this cult named Happy, um, <laughs> people are heaping praise onto Jesus. I mean, they are so fired up about Jesus coming into Jerusalem. You know, they're saying, Hosanna in the highest. Like, this is the one coming in the name of the Lord. This is the king. People are so excited. They're so fired up that Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. And that's kind of where the whole narrative has been in the Gospel of Luke. And it's finally happening. It's like, yes, Jesus is finally going to Jerusalem. People are so excited. They're waving all these palm branches. They're throwing stuff down on the ground in front of Jesus. It's like a, as Mary said, it's a party. I mean, people are so fired up about Jesus coming in. Except there's a few religious leaders, a few religious leaders that are not so excited about what's being said about Jesus. And they say to Jesus, tell them to stop it. Stop it. Tell your disciples to stop shouting out what they're shouting out. And Jesus looks at them, and he says something I think that's so beautiful in the Gospel of Luke. He says, I tell you this, if they stopped shouting, the stones would shout it out. The stones would shout it out. And I think what Jesus is saying to those religious leaders is a lot like what Paul is saying. Jesus is saying, hey, I know you, you feel like you got a lot in you, but it's okay to empty yourself of that. And frankly, if you do that, then you'll see the glory of God revealed right in front of you. I mean, this is Jesus, the one who will have the name above every name. This is right in front of you. If you would only just empty yourself, then you may just see the glory of God abounding, surrounding, and so in front of you right now. The glory of God is right in front of you. To me, I think this is exactly what Philippians is all about. This is the kind of rescue that Paul intends to communicate to the Philippian church. Church, empty yourself. And when you empty yourself, the glory of God will abound, surround, and be present to you and be in front of you. Jesus, the glory of God will be right there in front of you to walk in along your way will be that one to come along and fill up your gas tank. Like you'll be filled up by the glory of God when you empty yourself. It's a beautiful passage. As many of you know by now, you've received letters from Mary and I this past week, letting you all know that we will both be leaving this year. And I just want to acknowledge in this moment together for a moment that there's probably a lot of feelings about that. And whatever feelings you're having are so normal and so okay, whatever those feelings are that you're having about that. I don't know what specific feelings you may be having if you're scared or worried or concerned. You might be happy, you might be angry. I just wanna tell you your feelings are okay what they are in this moment, okay? We'll have a lot more time to discuss this transition later in the congregational meeting today and of course in the months to come. But I just want to look at Philippians 2 connected with what is going to happen in the life of our congregation, my friends. God's glory will lead us through this transition. 
Jesus will lead us through this time and this season of the life of the church. We just keep Jesus in front of us, like the Philippian church, and Jesus will guide us and give shape to our life. The glory of God will abound and surround us. As collectively as a church, we empty ourselves. God will fill us up. God will fill us up, my friends. This is the beauty of Philippians chapter 2. There is so much encouragement from being united with Christ. There is consolation. There is sharing in the Spirit, my friends. Jesus, when we model our life after him and our collective life after him, will lead us and guide us into the glory of God. Let's pray together. I'm just thankful for the message of Luke that Jesus tells us that the stones would shout it out. Your creation is singing the glory of who you are, God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so, Lord, I just pray that we would be able to align ourselves with you in all ways that we may know the glory of God. Lord, we lift up this Palm Sunday to you, and we continue to worship you now. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.